Well, good morning, church. Do trust. It's already been mentioned that you had a great Thanksgiving, a lot to be thankful for, and hopefully you come around to God's Word this morning hungry for what He's going to teach us. This is not uh, an easy passage to work through, so I hope you can track with me as we try and track with what is written here. It kind of reminded me of a story of a pastor uh, from the city who began a new church in rural Mississippi. He had lots to learn about the culture of northern Mississippi. So he decided to walk around the area to visit some of the locals. He saw a man sitting on his porch with his dog, and the man was chewing his tobacco, and the man yelled out, the pastor yelled out to the man, Are you a Christian? The man answered, no, Ollie and Bobby Joe Christian, they live down the road about a mile. (laughs) No, 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 you don't understand what I'm talking about, the pastor replied. Sir, are you lost? Lost? He said, why, no, I've lived here all my life. I know right where I am. No, no, said the pastor, are you ready for the judgment? The old man asked, well, when is it going to be? Well, it might be today, it might be tomorrow, the pastor said, the old man replied, well, for heaven's sake, don't tell my wife. She'll want to go both days. <laughs> I think she might be thinking of a Black Friday, which to me, that would be judgment. Some of you enjoy that. But you know, I don't think the man was tracking with the pastor. And while I may not agree with this pastor's approach, his question is valid. Are you ready for the judgment? Are you ready for the judgment? For there will be a day when Christ will return to establish true justice and all evil and all wars. A day and all we'll see the culmination of God's purposes. And while there may be this long gap presently between Jesus' first coming and Jesus' second coming, Jesus will return as judge, ready or not. Ready or not. And those of inquiring minds want to know, how is it all going to end? What is the end of the world going to look like? And, and someone, are we in the end now? And a lot of people, unfortunately, they peddle in this market, capitalizing on those worrying about the end of the worlds. And there are many wacky ideas of how the world will end and when it will end. And the wrong assumption is that we know how it's all going to end. We have it all figured out. Many think they know the facts about the ends. Well, we return in our study this morning to the book of 1 Thessalonians after we took a one-week break to focus on Thanksgiving. And we'll be picking it up in chapter 5 and looking at the first 11 verses that Rachel just read for us. And so, if you're not there, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now, you may recall from last time, two weeks ago, in chapter 4, Paul was addressing a question the church and Thessalonica had about those who died prior to the coming of the Lord. And Paul answered their concern to say those loved ones who have died will not miss out. Matter of fact, those who are dead 
when Christ returns, will receive their glorious new bodies prior to those uh, who are still living. That's what he talked about in chapter 4. In chapter 4, Paul laid out for them the basics, the ABCs of their hope, and that Christ, as it says in verse 16 of chapter 4, would descend from heaven with a loud command, with a voice of the archangel, with a trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, as I said then, and I'll say again now, my take on all of that of chapter 4, verse 16, is that there's going to be a lot of noise at the time believers are caught up, what is commonly uh, referred to as the rapture. So there's going to be a lot of noise when believers are caught up and they meet the Lord in the air to be with the Lord forever. But the call to the church in Thessalonica, the, ch- the call to, to living hope, is that not only what we're to do with all of this about end times, we're not to annoy each other with these words, we're not to argue with each other about the end times, but rather encourage one another with these words. That's what he ended with in chapter 4, verse 18. Now, even though our Bibles have a chapter break from what we looked at last time with what we're going to pick up this time, There's no chapter break in Paul's thought. In chapter 5, verse 1, Paul moves to the other side of the same coin, a different side of the same issue of the Lord's return. And what we have in this section is a contrast between those who are ready for his return and those who are not ready for his return. And so go with me to chapter 5, verse 5, for a moment. This is really setting the table for this morning. I don't want us to miss this. This verse is the hinge on which everything in this passage turns. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 5, he's speaking to the church in Thessalonica. Paul says, you're all sons, and we could add daughters, You're all sons and daughters of the light, sons and daughters of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. Now, the phrase there, sons of the light and sons of the day, uh, they are idioms, figures of speech. And, and, And to be a son or daughter of something is to be characterized by that something. Let me say that again. To be a son or daughter of something is to be characterized by that something. In other words, this is who you are, believers, children of the light, children of the day. Live on the basis, live out on the basis of your identity in Christ. See, to know who you are is to know that the many things that are unsettling today in this world, they'll all be taken care of. And as I I joked last time about those who are a pre-trib and mid-trib and post-trib, and I said that there's, you know, pan-trib, right? Pan-trib is that we know it'll all pan out in the end. And many of you kind of go, that's me. All right? That's fine. That's okay. Uh, That is true. It will all pan out in the end. But that's not an excuse, though, to be sloppy in our thinking about future things or to have our feet planted in midair or to be apathetic of the things that are going on around us. But the truth is, when we know who we are, children of the day, we do not need to fret about those things. We can long for it, but not worry about it. All right, I want to give you the takeaway right up front 
to keep us on track this morning. I want you to track with me what I think is to track with Paul here in these words. Here's the takeaway right up front. We need to understand who we are so we understand how we're supposed to live. We need to understand who we are so that we understand how we're supposed to live. That's where Paul's going with this. And so regarding the return of Christ, three, three points here. Regarding the return of Christ, first of all, children of the day do not need to know more. Children of the day do not need to know more as it relates to the return of Christ. I've suggested it's likely that what we have in chapters 4 and 5 in this letter uh, uh, Paul's answers to some questions the church in Thessalonica had. They might have even written them down, given them to Timothy. He comes back, turns them over to Paul, and so he's answering a series of questions here in chapters 4 and 5. Likely that's what's going on. And I think if we were to think of it that way, then a question that might be on their minds is, is when will this forever start? When will Christ return? Inquiring minds want to know when. When? And so Paul says, verse 1, now brothers and sisters, about times and dates, about the when, we do not need to write to you. Now Paul's subject here, as we're going to see in verse 2, is, is, is the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. The day of the Lord began at the time of Jesus' death and resurrection, and yet the consummation of the day of the Lord is still to come. It's what's often called as the already, not yet. Already, not yet. It's the period of overlap between what has already happened already and what is to come not yet. Not yet. Because we don't know when Jesus will return. Now, Christ's return, from my understanding, and not everyone agrees with me, perhaps not even in this room. But Christ's return has two stages, broadly speaking, two stages. The first stage or phase, would be Christ taking his followers out of the world, commonly referred to as the rapture, being caught up, as we saw in, in chapter 4, uh, verse 17. That's one stage. The second phase or stage would be when Christ comes to judge the world. That's that time commonly referred to as the seven-year tribulation when God's judgment will be poured out on this world and at all those who belong to the darkness. And so Paul here, he doesn't want them, these believers, to be in the dark about Christ's return. But neither does he want them to think timelines and charts. Listen, we can get so preoccupied with the timing of the Lord that we start gravitating toward that teaching that supposedly has special insight into that answer. Like I said earlier, a lot of people are peddling that. I know, you might be upset with me that I'm even saying that, but people are marketing that right now. Pick and choose, be careful with it, filter it out, not saying you're wrong to buy some of that, but remember, a lot of it is to kind of just, hey, I get insight into this. Let me give it to you. And then we looked at chapter 4 a couple of weeks ago. I gave a couple of examples of those who set themselves up as date setters. And we kind of immediately can resist that. That's not, as, that's not so subtle. And I mentioned, and, and you kind of, kind of figured, even though I didn't say his name, that I was thinking about Harold Camping and his prediction that the rapture would occur in 2011. And the backstory to that is when, a true story, is when Harold Camping predicted that the rapture would happen on May 21st, 2011, one man to really took advantage of that prediction. 
Bart Center of New Hampshire opened up a pet rescue business for animals that would be left behind by owners during the rapture. Creative. The self-described animal-loving atheist called it eternal earthbound pets for those furry family members who would not join believers in heaven. And at the time, Bart Center uh, told NPR and other media outlets that he charged hundreds of people more than $100 apiece, promising the business would care for their pets after the owners were carried up to heaven. Now, this amount would be paid in advance, of course. And he had over uh, 250 clients under contracts. He was not worried if the date didn't happen. He had a no-refund policy. Of course. Now, when Harold Camping set the date of the rapture for May 21st, 2011, and when it didn't happen, you remember, he adjusted the end date to October 21st, 2011. And when that didn't happen, that was obviously wrong. Harold Camping made this profound claim. He said, we just don't know. Well, no kidding. I wish you figured that out before all that stuff. See, about the times and dates, believers, you do not need to know more. We have enough information to calm our unsettled minds. We know what we need to know to live these days for him while we wait for his return. Do you belong to the day? Are you a child of the light? You ready? We do not need to know the when. And whether you believe we're near the end or not, people are always asking me, yeah, we really don't know. Martin Luther said about Christ's coming, I think it's not far away. He thought it would happen, Martin Luther, in his lifetime, he thought it would happen even before the translation of the Bible into German was finished. Folks, that was in the 1500s. I mean, we ought to be thinking this way, sure, that, that, that he will return soon. He wants us to live in light of the end every single day. But as I said last time, we're to look to the skies, but keep our feet on the ground. Children of the day do not need to know more as it relates to Christ's return. Doesn't mean you can't keep studying it, saying we have enough right here. Children of the day, secondly, can anticipate that day with assurance. You can anticipate that day with assurance. Now, Paul here uses two illustrations to point out the unexpected nature of Christ's return. You see it in your Bibles. We see the first illustration in verse 2. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. What he's saying by that, it's the element of surprise that makes the burglary successful. I read of, of two robbers who burst through the front door, raced to the counter with an empty pillowcase, and put it all in, they demanded. And, and the person behind the counter asked, put, put what in? The money, all of it. They said, and, and nobody will get hurt. Well, the person behind the counter was a bit puzzled by the demands, reached for the petty cash box, which only had a few dollars in it, and placed it in the pillowcase. The two robbers left, and she called the police. The police were also dumbfounded by the robbery. Why? Because it was a library. And you're not going to get much money out of a library. One of the police officers says, the first library robbery I've ever witnessed or heard of. <laughs> I'm sure. Well, apparently what happened is that these two crooks got the library mixed up with the bank a block away in another corner. They were caught. They were taken into custody. And should we say promptly, they were booked. (laughs) 
Yeah, no, thank you. Much better than the first service. Right like this, first service. Right over. Now, the librarians, the point is, the librarians were taken by surprise. They were taken by surprise for several reasons. I mean, but that's the nature of his point. That's the nature of his thief's coming. It catches people by surprise. It's unexpected. In the days of Noah, Jesus refers to this. It said that though a warning was given of a flood, people carried on as if it weren't so. They ignored the warning. They weren't ready. And that's what Paul goes on to say in verse 3. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Now it's here we pick up our second illustration of the unexpectedness of Christ's return for those in the dark. We'll come back to that in a minute. But it's in verse 3 that we do see that, that Paul switches from speaking to the believers and those who belong to the day to speaking of those who belong to the darkness, for those who are not ready for his coming. And just as you don't know when a thief will break in and rob you, even with all our technology today, we don't really know when a pregnant woman will experience labor pains. I mean, that's why we have strange stories of, of women giving birth, right? Six Flags amusement park, Chick-fil-A restroom, an elevator, New York subway. I read of one mom who went into labor and gave birth in a tree. Why she was up there in the first place, I have no idea. But we've, seen, we've heard those stories. Maybe one of those happened to you. And we've seen those sitcoms, right, where the woman goes into labor when she was not expecting it. Well, I, I, I can't help but think of the old I Love Lucy episode where Lucy suddenly goes into labor while they're all practicing their routine for bringing her to the hospital, right? And Ricky and Fred and Ethel, they're all calm. They're collected. They're orderly. They go through the routine. This is what we're going to do when it happens. They're thinking peace and safety. And all of a sudden, the moment arrives, Lucy goes into labor, and it throws them all into panic. They're running every which way. They're grabbing suitcases. They're bumping into each other until they finally run out the door, leaving pregnant Lucy behind, right? That happens like that. And Paul says the destruction will come like labor pains. And labor pains are an appropriate image here for a number of reasons. First of all, they come suddenly, as we've already noted, without warning. Secondly, it's a good image because they are painful, and this will be a day of pain and sorrow for those who are not prepared. But finally, labor pains are an appropriate image because they signal the inevitable. Once it begins, you can't stop it. You can't change your mind once it begins about having a child. When labor pains come, ready or not, baby's coming. Paul brings this out, this aspect of inevitability. And we see it really in the final phrase, they will not escape. Once God's judgment begins, there's no reversing it. God's judgment is sudden, it's painful, it's inescapable. Ready or not, Jesus is coming. And while some may be lulled into a false sense of security and peace, judgment is coming. Some don't want to believe that. 
Stories told of a Long Island man, he ordered an extremely sensitive barometer from a respected company. When the instrument arrived at his home, he was disappointed to discover that the indicating needle appeared to be stuck, pointing to the area marked hurricane. After shaking the barometer vigorously several times, which is never a good idea with a sensitive mechanism, the barometer needle still was stuck on the sector hurricane. The new owner wrote a scathing letter to the company about his defective barometer. On his way to the office, which was off of Long Island, he dropped the letter in the mail. Well, that evening, he left work. He returned to his home in Long Island. And not only was the barometer missing, but his house was missing as well. <laughs> the needle of the instrument had pointed correctly. There was a hurricane. So no matter how things may appear, life may be just going just fine. The needle of God's prophetic barometer is pointing hurricane. We don't know when, but there's a storm coming. Are you ready? Now, it's rather interesting to me anyway that while Paul's writing to the church, that he even mentions those who aren't ready. I mean, why even go there? He could have easily gone from verse 1 to verse 4 without missing anything. Why go there? The mention of this sudden, unexpected judgment on those who live in darkness, those who are followers of Jesus, is not for the purpose of threatening those who don't belong to Christ. Paul's intention here is to reassure, to encourage these believers about the times in which they live and how they are to live. And that's why he says in verse 4, but you, you, brothers and sisters, you're not in darkness. This day should not, that this day should surprise you. The word surprise there is overtake you. This day should, should, this, this day should surprise you, overtake you like a thief. Now this is where the Christian film years ago, Thief in the Knife, Thief in the Night had it all wrong. The movie portrayed the thief in the night as a time when the believers are taken up at the rapture, but actually it refers to this day uh, of the Lord, the second phase of his coming, the time of God's judgment. The day of judgment with its thief in the night imagery will not catch believers by surprise. It will not overtake those who are ready. We can anticipate that day with assurance. Listen, believer, it will not overtake you. You won't be part of that judgment. Children of the day, we can have assurance as we think of Christ's return. Thirdly, children of the day are to live as we are. Children of the day. Children of the day, we are to live as we are. Now at the outset, we looked at verse 5. I said it served as the hinge verse on which everything else turns. Let me read it again. Verse 5, you are all sons and daughters of the light and sons and daughters of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. And then verse 6 says, so then. So then. You see, our behavior emerges from our identity. What we are is what we should do, is how we should act. Children of the day do not live in darkness. And then on how we to live, Paul rattles off several metaphors. I'm just only going to be able to touch on. He mentions sleepiness versus wakefulness, drunkenness versus self-control, unguarded versus preparedness. So let me continue verse 6. So then, so then, children of day, let us not be like the others. 
children of the night who are asleep, let us be what? Alert and self-controlled. Verse 7, for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. Now, obviously, that's verse 7. That's a general statement as to when sleeping and drunkenness takes place. For some who work night shifts, they sleep during the day. And there are some who are well on their way toward intoxication by noon. But the emphasis here isn't as much on the activities of sleeping sleeping and drunkenness as it is on the moral and spiritual state of those who are not ready for the return of Christ. And he's saying here, day people should be distinct from night people. There's to be a marked difference between those who are day people and those who belong to the night. That's his point. We're not to live as though this life is all that there is because we know better. We know better. We're ready. At least we should be. And Paul has moved quite a distance from the opening words of verse 1 about times and dates. But he's staying on track with his primary concern as to how they ought to live. He then gives some very practical ways to remain alert and watchful as we wait for the coming of the Lord. And I'm only going to really be able to give it to you. I'll I'll touch on it a little bit. Verse 8, since we belong to the day, notice here, let us be what? Self-controlled. Put on faith. Put on love as a breastplate. Put on the hope of salvation as a helmet. How are we to live? Self-controlled. Putting on faith, love, hope. Verses 9 and 10, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us. So whether we're awake or asleep, meaning we die, we may live together with him. Like I said, I can't unpack everything that's here, but I don't want us to miss the point of it all. It is clear that Paul provides this end of the world talk for the purpose that we live a certain way in light of that. Knowing of Christ's return is incredibly practical. Let's embrace how day-to-day this all is. We need to understand who we are, children of the day, so we understand how we're supposed to live, as we are, children of the day. Alistair Begg puts it this way. He says, how we behave is based upon who we are, and who we are is based upon what God has done for us. What has God done for us? Well, verse 9 reminds us that those who are in Christ are not destined for God's wrath. The end is coming. And we who know Jesus, we're not surprised by it. We're not overtaken by that. We do not need to live our days in fear for that day will be for our salvation. It says not for our condemnation. Why is that true? Because we live in a place of already and not yet. Verse 10, our hope is based on something that has already happened. Jesus died for us. That's what our faith is based on. And we are in Christ now because of what has already taken place. Jesus' death and resurrection, we can be certain that we'll be who are in him when Christ returns. We will be in him when Christ returns. Already, not yet. This influences everything we see about the present. Yes, be aware of what's going on in the world, but let's not be shaken by world events. How are we then to live? Living hope, self-controlled, 
We need to live disciplined lives. There are many things that can distract us from the task at hand. Police academies are known to involve rigorous physical and mental tests in their curriculum to ensure that recruits are prepared for the harshness of life as an officer. And I read of, uh, of some video that was posted by one Indiana academy that, uh, of an exercise used to gauge recruits' discipline of focus. The challenge was for recruits to stand at attention and not break their intent focus in the midst of a particularly strong distraction. You know what that distraction was? A rubber chicken. And the video, you can check it out. The video shows a series of tough-faced young men and women who are one by one tested by the abrupt and awkward noise of a rubber chicken being squeezed next to their ear or in their face. Some pass the test. They're able to stare straight ahead. While a good number of others couldn't help themselves, they cracked a smile, even laughed, uh, earning themselves a round of push-ups. It was called the chicken test, designed to test the cadet's composure, focus, and even sense of humor. You know, as ridiculous as that illustration is, there are a lot of rubber chickens today vying for your attention. There are many distractions that can keep our hearts from focusing on the things that really matter squeezing in our face, and we're getting sidetracked, believers. We had to live disciplined amidst the distractions. Are you disciplined and focused in your life? Are you paying attention to what really matters? Church, stay vigilant. We can't fall asleep on the job. We need to be alert. You don't need to know when. All you really need to know is who you are, for that will enable you to live in faith, live in love, and live in hope each day until he returns. Children of the day, remember who you are. That no matter what the future holds, no matter how unsettling things are, and they are, you know you will be okay in the end. You're children of the day. You're ready. Maybe this morning... You kind of needed to hear that. See, the aim of everything said here is not to satisfy our curiosity about end times, but rather encouragement for the people of God. And that's why Paul ends this section with what he said at the end of chapter 4, how he ended that section. Look at chapter 5, verse 11. Now, I remind you, this is in the context of Christ's return. He says what? Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you're doing. Now, folks, that's a sign of a healthy church right there. They're, in fact, doing that. They're encouraging, and they're building up each other. We're going to come back to that next week. But for now, let's check our own vital signs. Let me ask you, is this what usually happens when you get into discussion about future things? You go away encouraged? Sadly, often we leave those discussions discouraged, confused, lacking certainty, all uptight. This should not be. The community of believers, we have been rescued by Christ from the ruins to come. That is good news. We are destined for an eternity with Christ. 
Along the way, we're going to be discouraged. Along the way, we will wonder if it's even worth it to continue. See, you need more than just instruction from me up front here. You need each other for encouragement to keep you going in this life. Because there's times you just want to shake your head. Encourage each other to hang on. Help each other through life by a faith that rises above all that's disturbing and alarming with acts of love that can spur each other on to continue and with a hope that reminds each other of our future home. Henry Morrison and his wife were faithful missionaries who served the Lord in Africa for over 40 years. On their way back to the United States, Henry began to wonder, will anyone remember us? When the ship pulled into the New York Harbor, he looked to see if anyone had come to welcome them back home. And crowds of people were there cheering, and bands were playing, and there were signs and banners that said, welcome home. Henry and his wife were so excited about the crowds of people that were there to welcome them home. But by the time they got off the ship, the people had all left. They had already gone. Well, unknown to Henry Morrison and his wife, Teddy Roosevelt, president of the United States, was also on board that ship. He had gone to Africa for a hunting trip. The bands, the banners, the signs, the crowds were all present to welcome home Teddy Roosevelt. Henry Morrison went to his hotel room, dejected, with a heavy heart, As he sat there on his bed, he asked his wife, Honey, I just don't get it. For 40 years, we poured our lives into ministry and into service, and yet we come back to America, and not a single soul comes to welcome us home. His wife put her hand gently on his shoulder and said, Honey, you've forgotten something. You're not home yet. (laughs) You're not home yet. Do you know Jesus? You're not home yet. You're not home yet. Do you know Jesus? Look to the skies. Keep your feet on the ground. Let's be about encouraging each other with these words. Let's pray. God, thank you for what is very practical for our lives. I pray we haven't missed that this morning. I pray we walk away from here remembering who we are and that our behavior emerges out of our identity in Christ, that we are children of the day. May we be reminded, may we remind each other of it. We can encourage each other with these words. Not get all worked up and uptight and argue with each other about the differences of opinion on these things, but rather encourage each other with these words that we may be built up in you. All to your glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.